0: The autumn wind is a pirate. Welcome, Raider Nation, to the Raider Nation
1: podcast. I'm your host, Raider Greg. Welcome to the show. The doggone draft is right around the corner, but there is some drama. We're going to hit on that and more here on show 522. Alright Raider Nation, on today's show we will have a pre-draft, uh, I don't know, pre-draft consensus because, listen, the draft is a crapshoot. one team goes out of line and the whole draft is out the window. I think it's funny that there's so many people doing mock drafts and I rarely have seen anyone uh, do more than the maybe the first four picks. Other than that, it's out the window. And drama in Alameda. Not that there's not enough drama in the United States already. For crying out loud, I don't even want to get into it. But I hate Trump anyway. But long story short, uh, there's drama in Alameda. Hell, man, there's too much damn drama in this country already. But we got to talk about it because. It's real. London calling again. And the schedule, we're going to talk about the schedule just a bit. But uh, we're going to see London again. And again. And again. Yeah, they're going to take four home games away from Oakland. Don't get me wrong. I love that trip. If you haven't gone, you got to go. Hit up the UK black hole, they do it right. They do it best for the Raider fan. Trust me, I've done it twice as a killer. That in the bowl line, we'll wrap up
2: the show folks.
1: Alright, I'm feeling a draft! Yeah, it's an Oakland Raiders best draft. I've seen in a long time. What do we got? We have three picks in the first round. That is unfrickin' believable. Let's talk about it. Now, we all know that the draft is a crapshoot. We all know that one team falls out of line with any of these draft gurus and it it cavalcades into chaos because teams, I really don't know the secrets because there's a lot of big secrets uh, in the draft as far as teams holding on to their, their drafts, their board they don't want anybody to know their board and we're going to hit on that too a little bit later with the drama in Alameda but before we go there we have three picks of the top 32 players in the country. That's pretty amazing. You have a very good chance of picking up some real stellar play now guys. And trust me, we need them. So the Raiders pick number four. So in the first round, number four, there's a few players that have been mentioned, and I'll mention them again. and Williams. Defensive tackle, Alabama, crazy good player. I don't even know what to say, but crazy good player. I'd take him.
3: Alabama interior defensive lineman, Twinnett Williams, is the number two defensive player on the PFF draft board and number three overall. Williams' 96 overall grade in 2018 is the best mark we've ever given in a full season and he led the nation with a 96.5 grade against the run and a 92.5 mark as a pass rusher. Williams has an incredible combination of quickness and hand usage that led to his 55 total pressures, including 10 sacks and 16 QB hits, all adding up to a win percentage of 20.2% that also led the nation last season. Williams is just as disruptive in the run game where he was nearly unblockable playing mostly nose tackle for Alabama, and he's the best all-around interior defensive lineman in the 2019 draft. Don't worry about scheme fit for Williams, he can produce anywhere along the defensive line, and he's well worth a top five pick as a movable interior disruptor.
4: Quentin Williams, a generational talent. We keep talking about Nick Bosa in that way, but it's Quentin Williams
5: a generational talent, Pop. Once in a generation? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, I think he's, you know, a little bit of Warren Sapp, who's from an earlier generation. A little bit of Gerald McCoy, who's a little older, but is he in his generation? And, uh, you know, he, he does play like Aaron Donald uh, to some degree. So I wouldn't say uh, that he's, you know, the likes of him aren't going to come around again till Haley's Comet or something. He's a tremendous player. There's no doubt. And Nick Bosa is a tremendous player as well. Uh, Frankly, I've watched more of Quinn and Williams. Uh, Whatever work I'm doing on Bosa to get ready for Thursday in our draft coverage is, um, you know, I I didn't see Bosa play this year live or on tape because he was hurt when I did Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. But I I watched Quinn and William every snap getting ready for the Iron Bowl. And then I was so in love with him that I watched him every snap after, because he's great. Uh, he's a great player. I, I don't think there's any doubt he's a great player, a fantastic player. I think he's a force. He's, he's innately skilled to get off of blocks, like his teammate Jonah Williams says. He's a 300-pound bar of soap. He just slides off you. But then if he wants to pick you up and bench press you, he can do that. I mean, I, I've seen him split double teams. And he's smart. He was talking the other day. ESPN had him in Bristol about you know foot placement and uh, tips he gets. Sometimes he's going away from the way they're blocking. He just loops around. He played for Nick Saban, so but you know Bosa is uh, he could be a generational talent as well.
3: Ohio State edge defender Nick Bosa is the top defensive player on the PFF draft board coming in at number two overall. Bosa's exceptional hand usage led to the nation's top overall grade in 2017 at 93.9, and he was well on his way to leading again with a 93.1 grade before going down due to injury in 2018. Bosa stepped in and produced as a true freshman back in 2016, and there's no weaknesses to his game as he posted elite grades of 86.8 against the run and 92.5 as a pass rusher in 2017, his last full season with the Buckeyes. Bosa's two-year pass rush winning percentage of 28.2 is by far the best in the draft class, and that pass rushing prowess should translate to the next level, much like it has for his brother Joey. The two brothers are eerily similar, from size, movement skills, and to, most importantly, their on-field production. Nick Bosa is a scheme-diverse, three-down player at the next level, and his college dominance bodes well for projecting a strong NFL career. Now, Nick Bosa, Ohio State. If he falls to number four, I
1: hope we don't pick him. Nick Bosa is a walking injury. He has spent more time in the doctor than he has on the field, He's a great rusher. He's got all the right words, but he's been injured a lot. I don't like the pick. If we pick him, that's fine, but I'd like to stay away from Bosa. Devin White, linebacker, LSU.
6: There are very few draft prospects this year that both excite me and scare me like LSU's Devin White. Sometimes when I watch him, I feel like I'm seeing the second coming of Patrick Willis out there making jaw-dropping plays all over the field, but then two snaps later he'll make a terrible mental or technical mistake that reminds me just how raw he still is as a linebacker and how far he has yet to go before he becomes a finished product. It's all extremely high peaks and extremely low valleys when it comes to evaluating White's potential, and to be honest, I'm still not entirely sure how high he should go in the draft. Philosophically speaking, should teams value those peaks more in their final grades, or should they consider the valleys? It's a very legitimate dilemma both for them and myself, and truth be told, a lot of the time it just comes down to a gut feeling. So to help steer my gut in the right direction towards an answer, let's first start by breaking down his unique strengths as a player, and then we'll work our way back to his weaknesses. First things first, White is easily one of the fastest linebackers over 230 pounds that I've studied in the last several years. He moves at a completely different speed than everyone else on the field, and it's not hard to imagine him sliding into more of a run and chase kind of role as a will linebacker in the NFL so that those physical gifts can shine as much as possible. From that position on the weak side of the front, he can worry less about setting edges or taking on blocks at the point of attack, and more about just straight up racing people from sideline to sideline in pursuit of the ball. And believe me, when he's in a foot race to the sideline, he rarely loses. That kind of speed isn't just important for snuffing out runs to the edge before they even get going, though, because it also helped them to stop the bleeding on some already good gains before they turned into even bigger gains down the field. Big plays are always going to happen no matter what, of course, but when you've got a linebacker that can run 4-4 on your team, the usual angles that ball carriers take to burn defenses get more easily choked off, and those runners no longer have those one or two extra steps worth of space to break free. White's speed against angles like that has often been the difference between LSU giving up a 10-yard run and a 20-yard run, and all those clutch tackles add up to a huge amount of yardage saved over the course of a game, and obviously over the course of a season. But being able to run like a deer and limit big, game-breaking plays isn't the only thing that makes him an intriguing prospect, because there are lots of linebackers in the league that are blindingly fast. Maybe not as fast, of course, but still fast nonetheless. There are not a lot of speedy linebackers, however, that also have enough strength and pop in their punches to quickly get off of blocks as they work their way to the ball. He packs a ton of power into that compact 240 pound frame to the point where even though his arms are not exactly long, he's so damn strong for his size that he's really good at stonewalling blockers on the second level and getting past them before they can dig him out. That's a rare quality for a weak sidelinebacker to have that already has rare speed to go with it as well. And that extraordinarily unique combination of speed and power is what makes him such an enticing prospect in the first place. The athleticism isn't just the main selling point with him, it is the selling point. But knowing that he is a top one percentile kind of athlete, it then begs the question what's the catch? If he's faster than almost every other linebacker out there to chase down plays from behind, and he's also stronger than most Will linebackers to the point where he can hold up against pulling guards that are running directly at him, what is he missing? To me, his two critical flaws that might end up being deal breakers for some teams are his instincts and his tackling technique. And I know that some coaches will see those things as more teachable than others, so it's almost impossible to determine just how big of a knock those problems really are. But trust me when I say there's a whole lot of linebacker coaches out there who are creating a checklist of all the shit they're going to have to fix if they take on White as a project. Remember that he only just started playing linebacker full-time less than three years ago because he was actually recruited as Leonard Fournette's and Darius Geis' successor at running back, and it's still very, very apparent that this is a new position for him. He still reads his keys late at times and misses assignments, he still blows angles and overruns his pursuit to the ball, which then leads to even more missed tackles, and even when he does actually get there with a good angle, he sometimes whiffs on tackles anyway because he wraps up too high and doesn't drive through the legs of his target. Like I said, there's still a lot of stuff to fix here, and at this point, he's probably more of an athlete than a linebacker. Whenever he wrapped up a ball carrier too high and his feet left the ground, he pretty much just said to the runner, okay, I'm going to see what's stronger, my arms or your legs, and obviously the running back's legs won that battle most of the time because of basic physics, so he missed tackle after tackle after tackle because he wouldn't stop wrapping people up high instead of down low. The first, second, and third job of his future linebacker coach in the NFL, no matter what team he's on, will be coaching these bad habits out of him as a tackler and really getting back down to the basics on how to aim, how to wrap up, and how to make his tackles more reflective of his squat than of his bench press. If you want to be a starter in the NFL, you've got to be able to consistently tackle people without whiffing and without losing your grip. If you can't tackle, you can't play, period. It's just that simple in this league. But with all that being said, that's still not even my biggest question mark with White as a prospect. Because on top of his technical flaws as a tackler, he's still trying to develop and figure out the one thing that makes all great linebackers great, instincts. When you watch White work his way through traffic and find the ball, to me it looks like he's sometimes reading the play like a running back rather than like a linebacker. On those snaps, he reads the leverages and the gap fits of the defensive line in front of him to spot a cutback lane just like a running back would, and then he uses that read to make essentially an educated guess about where the running back is going to go. Sometimes it obviously works, and he'll flash into a hole or get into position against a cutback extremely quickly, but then other times when he guesses wrong, he'll look completely lost and have no idea where the ball is or what gap he's supposed to be in. You never really know if you're going to get the Devin White that looks like a future All-Pro or the Devin White that looks like a future backup because he doesn't consistently read blocks like a linebacker. You're going to the
7: NFL, obviously, as a top five pick. I see it that way. What do you consider to be your biggest asset? What should we look forward to
8: most from you on the next level? On the next level, you should look for my relentless motor. You know, just a guy that's going to make plays for you and going to get everybody lined up and bring great leadership to the team because there's a lot of grown men out there, and i got to go in and show them that I'm ready to win a championship.
9: A 4 4 Are you sure you are playing the right position? <laughs> I know, <A> man. Four- <laughs> <laughs> I used to okay. play running back. How are
10: your hands? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah,
11: yeah you no carry surprise the
10: ball? Yeah, that. I used to
8: carry the ball in high school. I, got a, I had a lot of touchdowns, so, I mean, it was an easy transition to go play linebacker. But why the switch? Because I felt like I could have a longer career hitting people than getting hit.
12: Mm. That's smart, but what about the way linebackers are paid nowadays compared to the way some other positions
13: are paid?
8: I'm going to tell you, CJ Mosley just, he just yeah, did something. That's right, he for just me. cashed in. <laughs> he just did something. So think about it in four to five years when the market change again, and hopefully, you know, if the laws say the same, I have a great career and I could be in that position.
12: When I heard Saquon Barkley at his Giants introductory mm-hmm. press conference, he sounded like a quarterback. He sounded like a franchise quarterback. And you mentioned that the middle linebacker, at least, is like the quarterback of the defense. You are talking right now, carrying yourself as though we're talking to a young quarterback. Is that how you perceive yourself as a franchise, a face of a franchise kind of guy?
8: Yeah, and I do. And that's the number one reason why I feel like I should go as high as I should go, because I'm very, very valuable to a team, you know, and like you just said it. I mean, you spoke my, my thoughts for me just then.
1: Now, we haven't done so well with our linebackers especially when we had three linebackers in management just like a few years ago we had three guys in management linebacker we still don't have a linebacker i don't understand that josh allen from kentucky outside linebacker defensive end
14: all right next rumor here josh allen to the raiders at pick number four I really wish this one was four Chucky Heads, believe it, baby, because for me, I actually really, really like Josh Allen. But I'm looking at some of these reports here from other pl- people like uh, NFL Media and Vic Four, and it's why I'm going to give it only one Chucky Head, and I think it's a small shred of truth. Now, I like Josh Allen, and to me, I don't really understand why the reports are that the Raiders don't really like Josh Allen. To me, he fits the need that the Raiders have, an edge rusher. Now, he is visiting the Raiders today. He is visiting the Raiders today, which is a good sign. Now, the defensive line needs to be addressed considering the Raiders had only 13 sacks in 2018. Heck, if you double their sack total in 2018, they are still dead last in the NFL in terms of sacks. Ugh. Sigh. When I see Josh Allen, he got better every single year. He had 88 tackles this past year at Kentucky. He got better from his freshman year all the way through his senior year. That is a huge quality that is not even talked about enough, I think, in today's NFL, especially when you look at players and just their ability to learn. If you can't learn, you're going to have a cap ceiling. With his ability to learn, I'm really excited about what Josh Allen could do. Why else do I love Josh Allen? He's the biggest need we have. Defensive end. That is the biggest need the Raiders have right now. Morrow uh, guys, he's he's okay, right? But if we can get Arden Key and Josh Allen both of them together, I really like that duo, and it saddens me. It saddens me that it's only one Chucky head and that the reports are that the Raiders do not like him. But let's have a little bit of fun, shall we? Imagine Josh Allen and Arden Key on the on two opposite sides of the spectrum here. That's exciting to me. Moe Hurst, Jonathan Hankins, imagine then if the Raiders go early in the draft and get another young defensive tackle. Arden Key, Moe Hurst, Hankins, and Allen, I'll tell you what, that's a pretty awesome young core at defensive line, which is great to see because the Raiders, as we know, have a huge, huge need at defensive end. So if we take Josh Allen, it's probably going to be at pick number four.
3: Rashawn Gary. Defensive line, Michigan. For Sean Gary, a guy that's getting the top 10 hype, and we've been saying pump the brakes, the college production just hasn't been there, and for us that raises a lot of question marks when projecting Gary to the next level. The guys that tend to do well early on in their careers... Also did well in college. We haven't seen
15: a lot of guys just not right grade out well, not be productive college players along the defensive line of scrimmage, all of a sudden turn it on at the next level, figure it out, because if you can't beat up you know, these 330-pound tackles that can barely move out of their stance in college, you're not going to be able to you know, compete against the tackles in the NFL that are running 4 eight, forties that are maybe as athletic as you, as Rashawn Gary there. And so I think it's going to be a big wake-up call for him once he gets to the next level. Yeah, and the thing that really is the biggest red flag to me is all these physical tools should be able to dominate. If if he didn't have the highest overall grade, I wouldn't I might be able to excuse that, but he didn't have a singular game even. Where he took over, you know, where he really flashed it from start to finish for a whole game where he dominated. That's the biggest red flag to me is that the fact that there wasn't one game you could point to and hang your head and say, well, you know, if I can get that every single day out of him, then maybe I got a good player at the next level. There just wasn't that on tape. There was a few reps. You know, there's this bull rush against Nebraska where he puts the tackle on his back that you're like, ooh, if he can do that every time. There's a few. It's reps and it's not consistency throughout any sort of. Sample size, more than one to two reps.
3: Yeah, so we like him as overall. In the grand scheme of things, we like him. We put a Mm -hmm. second-round grade on him, if for nothing else, because of the size and the explosion Mm -hmm. and the fact that he could kick inside, right? Like He could maybe rush against guards Mm -hmm. and have more success than he did on the edge in college.
15: Yeah, in second-round grade, we still expect you to be a productive NFL player. We're just saying... You're going to draft a guy, top 10, top 15, where he's likely going to go. You expect special. You expect something different in those athletic traits. You expect special, but we just haven't seen it. We're expecting good, if not, you know, not special, I guess is the best way to put it.
16: Welcome to Good Morning Football, March 4th. Bart Scott what? is here with us. If you missed any of the Combine, we've got you covered. There are plenty of noteworthy performances from the weekend. All right, Bart, I'm going to start with you. You like to size up these players. you got a little bit of a GM in you, the way you work, and the mind works. Who won the Combine this weekend?
17: Well, for me, I have to go over Rashawn Gary, and uh, of course I'm going to go over Rashawn Gary. I've known the kids since he was in the eighth grade, yeah. and I knew he was going to perform like this, but now he's furthered the conversation because he's trying to figure out why is Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, all these guys being mentioned ahead of me. It's because of his college production, and you, you know, I'll I'll make a bit of an excuse for him. You know, he went and he played in a system where it was a lot of stunning and and slanting and things of that sort. He's going to have to explain why he only averaged three and a half sacks, you know, a year. And it's because, to me, he plays too high. And I, I hope, you know, selfishly, that he goes to a place where he doesn't have to have that early pressure like an Oakland because I feel like if he goes there replacing a Khalil Mack, he has this kid's going to have to have time to develop. He needs to go somewhere. Why did
18: he win the Kanban, though? Because his performance? His, his performance.
17: I mean, he's a dancing bear. You talk mm. about 277 pounds, four, 8", mm-hmm. explosive, vertical, 38. He, he, he checks all the boxes off in that regard. The only thing that he doesn't check is, If you have all these measurables, why weren't you more dominant in college, especially on on one of the best defenses in the league? I feel like he's going to have to answer that question, but he has time. He has all the skills. He's just raw right now. He reminds me a lot of uh, Clowney, but Mm. he pops up too much off the ball, Mm. and he's tried to survive too much off that explosiveness and that raw talent and not really learning the crack, which he can't get away with those sins in the league because tackles will sit on top of him and get inside that chest.
1: Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, Ohio State. Listen, we don't need a quarterback.
12: All right, thinking about the draft for this year's quarterbacks, I, yeah. ke- I keep reading, I keep hearing that maybe Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State is sinking a little bit from the, you know, he's a top ten pick, maybe he's sliding down further. Some people would say sliding out of the first round. Right. You buy it. Uh, I, I don't buy the fir- out of the first round. There's no way. Um, l- let me clarify with this right off the bat. Dwayne Haskins, from everything I've seen on film, is a top 10, a top 15 pick. I I don't have any reservations about that. He's big. He's fearless in the pocket. He has a big time arm. He has a very quick release. I know he's not that mobile, but he's got very quick feet in the pocket to readjust, which I like, Okay. And you've heard me say Big Ben Roethlisberger is who Mm -hmm. he reminds me of in a lot of ways, because he can have people all over him, and he can still stripe a a 20-yard in cut down the middle of the field. What do you think the concern that's creeping up is? I I think it's everything post-bowl game, really, to me. And, And you've heard me say this. I did not like the look of him at the combine from all facets, not only the way his body looked, but didn't think he dropped back and just some of the drills correctly, like he hadn't worked on it much. Then you cramp after 140 and don't run a good time at the 40 position. Hey, when you run 504 this day and age in the NFL position at quarterback, and then there's a guy like and Williams who runs a much faster time than that at 303 pounds at defensive tackle, Mm -hmm. people are going to be concerned. It's just a different world. They're no longer the pocket passers, the second in the NFL so uh, I think that let alone like you've heard me say the litmus test of he kind of failed the optics of the combine I think have teams concerned and he's only played one year uh, that would be the reason I think teams would be having reservations about him but I, I would I mean if he falls out of the first round I would be like mind-blown shocked I, right. I just can't see that happening interesting that Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray only played one year as well. Yes, I know. You're it's, right. It's not being held against it's him. It's not being held right against now. him. No, you're right. And, hey, listen, there's – and, again, I don't hold that totally against him. I, I hold it against him in like this with Dwayne Haskins. I've told you I have Drew Locke ranked mm-hmm. ahead of Dwayne Haskins. Um, I think in a very close race, I've given Drew Locke a little bit of the advantage. And when it gets this close to where I'm going, oh, I'm not sure. They're both good. I really like both. I'm going to give the guy a little bit more experience the advantage there. Right. And Drew Locke's played more football and in more big situations to where that can make me feel a little bit more comfortable. I had Dwayne Haskins, who was very raw at the beginning of the year and continued to grow, and we saw good things, certainly. Uh, but, you know, yes, there's still probably more questions to be answered along those lines. And Drew Locke has played a lot more football. A lot I'm more. About three seasons. Yes, right. Three seasons has been the guy, and they've put a lot on his shoulders to carry the team and make big-time throws. And to me, I put stock into stuff like that because, uh, yeah, it shows me, one, that the coaches think he's special to put all that on his plate and make plays happen. Yes. Two, you know, he uh, – in the SEC, not a real good team. He was to be depended on on a weekly basis to have to make some difference-making type plays for the Missouri Tigers to win football games. And he came through in a lot of those instances or came through to keep the game close to where they didn't get blown out by the teams that were clearly better than them. And I give him credit for uh, some of that, those situations too. A lot of people thinking we're going to move up to get a quarterback.
1: Derek Carr is our quarterback. Give him a team first before we shit can him. He needs some talent around him, and this is when we can make it. If he doesn't work out next year, then we can get rid of him. But don't draft a quarterback this year. We have too many things to do besides that. Ed Oliver, defensive line, Houston.
3: Another good player. This is your Ed Oliver 2019 NFL Draft Profile, all powered by PFF Edge and Elite. Mike Ed Oliver getting top five hype since a, he was a freshman, basically. Yeah. true freshman burst onto the scene at Houston was fantastic. We've been up and down on him through the years, but a fantastic overall player. How does he project?
15: Yeah, Ed Oliver is one of the most interesting projections in this entire class for a number of reasons. One is he's a 280-pound defensive tackle who played nose tackle his entire Maybe. career. Maybe. Is he and actually he's, he's, 280? They're rumored to have played in the 270s, but a 270-pound nose tackle, which just isn't where he's going to play at the NFL level. Another reason is because there's so much wrong with his game in terms of his stance. His pass rushing moves, are basically basically existent at this point. But then the third thing, the reason he's going to go probably top 10 in this draft, and the reason that we're still high on him is he has athleticism that you can't teach. Elite level, almost Aaron Donald level, one of the only ones who can even snip Aaron Donald's level of athleticism in recent years at the defensive tackle position, and it showed up on tape in the run game when he gets to shoot through a gap, he does it better than any defensive tackle in this class.
3: But he moves? Better than Aaron Donald, he moves like a safety or a cornerback yeah. some of some of the times. Mm, don't when say better than Aaron
15: Donald. He watched him. Run I'm the just ball, saying the lateral agility yeah.
3: and all that stuff. It is spectacular watching Donald move from sideline to sideline. I mean, I feel like you could put him at linebacker. There were rumors that NFL teams wanted to even try him out at linebacker just because it is such a unique skill set. Here's essentially the the discussion that we've been having over the last couple of months, though. Elite run defender by our grading because of what you said, the ability to shoot gaps, to just not be blocked in the run game. But the pass rush grades, for a guy that had an Aaron Donald physical skill set, the pass rush grade just wasn't there, right? So why was he not there? He did take a big step forward this past season, but the more we dive into it, it's really that scheme the stance, and some yes. of those other things that you're talking about holding him down a little bit. Yeah, it
15: really, he just did not have anything other than a bull rush. And sometimes was told to do nothing other than a bull rush there in that Houston scheme or you know, stunt out and contain rush. He just wasn't given a lot of opportunities to actually get one-on-one pass rushing reps. When he did, it was obviously better, but there's still a ways to go. Has kind of short arms for the position, only 30, a shade over 31 inches. So those are concerns but it won't take him too much. He doesn't have to go too far for that athleticism to affect the pass, affect the run at the NFL level. He just needs a f- couple pass rushing moves. Give him two, and all of a sudden he'll be rushing the passer at a high level in the NFL.
3: Best fit at the next level? Is it just pure three technique, I, beat the guards to the I think spot? he has to
15: be a pure three technique in your defense. Three technique and out. I don't think you're going to put him anywhere inside of the guards. He could even you know stand up as your outside linebacker if you really wanted him to at times. I think he's capable of that athletically. It shows up. On tape. So I think Garden now is your best bet for him having success at the NFL level.
3: So I think you're going to get this interior disruptor against the run game despite the size. Mm -hmm. The technique isn't always clean, but that pass rush, if it continues to improve, then you're talking about a top 10 type of player. But I think because it's an if, he's not a slam dunk top five player for us like a lot of people have Mm -hmm. said at this point. Is that right? Yeah,
15: there is still a good deal of projection to his game. You know, but him sitting out the end of the year at Houston, just there are some red flags there that. There is a ways to go. You like guys that have already done it, already showed it to you on tape when you're drafting someone in the top five.
3: So there you have it. It's our Ed Oliver NFL Draft Profile, all powered by PFF, Edge, and Elite.
1: Now in the 24th spot in the first round, some of the players that were mentioned, Josh Jacobs, running back, Alabama, Bruiser, Beast,
9: Josh Jacobs. He has as many questions surrounding him as any top prospect we've ever seen. But Nate, he was only third on his own team in college in the Russian. But Nate, he ran a 4-6 on his pro day on Tuesday. Why should he be one of the top running backs off the board? Listen, I can explain to you. What is he going to do? Is he going to run through you? Is he going to run around you? Or is he going to run over you? All of the above. And you he gotta runs wrap through up. the tackle. Watch this. Hey, take that with you. Oh, baby. Sorry, young man. You got to get in the weight room, and he's going to yeah, be that's doing that at way to play up. right there, Nate. Exactly. Flex, young man, flex. My guy, Josh Jacobs, more than just a running back, one of the most versatile players in this draft. And you want to talk about the 40 time? You want to talk about the speed? You want to talk about all these minor details that really don't matter. Kyle, you being a running back, you know, yeah. sometimes guys just put the pad on, pads on, and they're better than everybody else.
7: You know what it is, Nate? You can have the 40, the cone drill, whatever. All I care about is do you break tackles? That's it. That's the factor. Break tackles. That guy does it all day. I don't care if he runs a four nine. It is 160 pounds. You tackle him, he's gonna break it. That's what I care about. Future angry, one, uh, angry run winner. Oh no tackle. doubt. That yeah. trophy no going wherever. A he long goes. line of Alabama angry runners right now. How are you gonna go wrong with an Alabama <laughs> running back? Are you kidding me? We need a good solid running back.
1: Someone that we can ride uh, to a victory in Las Vegas. Don't know if that'll happen. Cleland Farrell, defensive end Clemson. There's a lot of buzz about this guy. I like him. Noah Fant, tight end Iowa. I like this guy. He's a real tight end. When was the last time we had a real tight end? Miller was the last time we had a real tight end. And then he went to the great Northwest, uh, to the Seattle Sea Chickens.
14: Here we go. If Noah Fant, Josh Jacobs, and Cleveland Farrell are all available at pick 24, who you want the Raiders to select? This is a great question. I'm going to go with Cleveland Ferrell because I think it's a bigger need at defensive end. With all that being said, I was able to get Josh Jacobs at pick 35 in my latest mock draft, and you know that I love Noah Fant. All right, You guys know that I love Noah Fant. He's a very talented tight end. He could probably a top 20 pick. Heck, he could actually go before Cleveland Ferrell, and I wouldn't totally be surprised by it. But Cleveland Furl at pick 24 I think is a good steal, and it fits a bigger need for the Raiders. Yes, we need a tight end, but also at the end of the day, we need some edge rushers because we had 13 sacks last year, ranked dead last in the NFL. The next closest team was 31. Like, think about that for a sec.
1: Montez Sweat, defensive end. Mississippi State, kind of raw, but he's got the physical talents to make it happen. I like this player
2: montez sweat a report out now that says multiple teams have taken him off of their draft board after they found the heart condition at the nfl scouting combine One he was able to still work out after they discovered ian but looking at this what's the concern
11: level for teams with montez sweat it seems to be now based on my initial read and you know this is something we've been discussing ever since we put out the story several weeks ago on his heart condition uh, in some ways similar to Maurice Hurst, but it does not seem like it is as severe. We know that because he was actually allowed to participate in the combine, whereas Hurst was not. Of course, Hurst from the Oakland Raiders fell all the way to the fifth round. Uh, There are some teams who are going to knock him significantly on their medical board, and and doctors are going through this with coaches right now in buildings. There are also some teams, a lot of teams from what I understand, who are at least going to monitor this but have not knocked him down Hardly at all. It certainly seems to me, Mike, that this is a guy, talent-wise, overall-wise, who is still going to be a probably a mid-first rounder despite all these medical things.
0: I spoke to a team evaluator the other day. I said, do you, do you have concerns about somebody? He says, yeah, absolutely, we have cons- concerns. Now, look, it's just, just like the evaluation of a player. It's not black and white. There's going to be some gray areas on this one, and one team's medical staff is going to be much better Uh, looking at this situation, or much more comfortable, I should say, than another team's medical staff. So at some point, someone is going to sit there and say, there's too much upside here. We are going to take Montez Sweat. You go back to Hurst, who went in the fifth round last year. It's not like the Raiders evaluated him as a fifth-round talent. It just got to the point where they said, look, it's in the fifth round. Your hit rate on regular players who don't have medical issues is what it is at this point in the draft. Let's take a shot. And if he can't continue his career at some point, okay, we'll we'll move on and wish him the best. And if he can, we got ourselves a great player.
7: So that's what's going to happen
0: with Montez Sweat. DeAndre Baker, cornerback,
1: Georgia.
7: We love corners here. We love corners. And one of the uh-huh. top corners in the 2019 NFL draft, he won the Thorpe Award, nation's best defensive back, consensus All-American, and one of the leaders of Georgia's SEC championship winning defense in 2017. Guys, please welcome to the breakfast table, DeAndre Baker.
9: Hey, Dogs. How are you
7: feeling? Good. Doing? doing good. You got unbelievable numbers, man. 14 catches you've allowed yes, in 12 sir. games last season. Yes, you have not allowed a touchdown in coverage <laughs> since 2016. It's 2019 now. So we're in the era of spread offenses. All yeah. the rules favor the offense.
19: How are you doing this? You know, it all starts with the preparation, you know, going against good guys in practice like Miko Hartman, Riley Ridley, you know, great receivers. And just every day getting after it. Then going along with my great coaching staff, they, me the tools and you know, with my talent and just step my game up to a whole other level so just just having all that in one just make me
7: play well you're a great player and you got a cool persona we've been sitting with you for a few yes. minutes now sometimes you look at corners and you want to see dion or sherman <laughs> or everything but you actually play it kind of understated how has that helped you in the draft process
19: well it helped me well you know i'm kind of like an introvert i kind of like chill laid back you know we had Ken on the show like before. Everybody can't be Ken with the great personality. Yeah, personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to have someone to balance it out. So I'm kind of like a kind of laid-back, chill guy. But you know, I'm a good guy, you know, good character, never had off-the-field issues, you know. So... Yeah, I like it, man. DeAndre,
16: you're on a long list of stars to emerge from the Liberty City Warriors. We, all, of course, saw that in the LeBron-produced docuseries last year. But I'm talking, like, pro bowler after pro bowler. Antonio Brown, Chad Johnson, Devonta Freeman. What yeah. is it about being a warrior that helped you get to where you are today?
19: You know, just coming out of Miami, is a lot of talent, you know, a lot of competitiveness, so you just breed a lot of talent. And just seeing those guys coming up, you know, there's guys before you who, who motivate you and influence you to do the right things and just mow you into being, you know, want to be great. So just watching a guy before you and just following their footsteps just just play a big role in it.
16: Yeah, but I'm looking, I mean, I look at the population. It's about 20,000 people that yes. live there. So how are they able to produce such an insane amount of NFL <laughs> talent, in your opinion?
19: It's just, you know, just a uh, neighborhood in Miami. You know, we breed athletes, so you'll play a team. You know, I grew up playing football at the age of four so. Just imagine Antonio Brown, at age of four or five. Yeah. <laughs> you got like three or five, three or four Antonio Browns running around on opposing teams, so you know the competition level high already. I so love it. just prepare you for the next level.
1: I don't know if we should take these defensive backs in the first round. I, I don't even know. But this is not my pick for defensive back. I mean, really, for cornerback, I don't know. Drew Locke. Another quarterback pick.
3: Welcome in. Along with Bruce Gratkowski. I'm Steve Palazzolo, and this is your NFL Draft Profile on Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback, getting plenty of first-round hype. He certainly looks the part, has the arm, much like the other quarterbacks. Some right. concerns yeah. about his game as well. So what have you seen from Drew Locke on film?
0: I mean, you said he's got the arm. The dude has a quick release, flicks it out of his, out of his hand. Powerful arm. Um, the thing I like, he's a basketball player, or was, and he's talented. Sometimes I feel like that helps when you're playing the game as a quarterback on the field. Helps your vision, helps your athleticism. So I like that he brings that. He's big, physical, looks the part. Um, some of this, man, his footwork though bugs me. You know, I'm oh, a, yeah. I'm a yeah. stickler for footwork, so that's one trait. I'm not happy with Look, that. I wrote a whole article on Drew Locke <laughs>
3: comparing him to Jay Cutler, and I, I, I like when It's good it, comparison. It, look, c- comparisons aren't clean across the board all the time, but I was like, all right, let me go back and watch some Jay Cutler in college, right. and I'm watching throw for throw where they kind of matched up late to the flat on this one pass, and then before you know it, dropping one in that's great, overthrow and an easy miss, and I just saw a lot of comparisons, and the footwork is one of the things that, right. that certainly stood out to me, and in my notes, I'm like, man, why is he throwing off balance? You know, because he'll have the wow NFL throws where he's fading away and he'll flick one up and it's like, whoa, pretty right. impressive throw. But why do you have poor footwork in a clean pocket and then you miss an easy one? Can that be corrected at the next level?
0: Well and I, I just don't think he had the coaching though. I don't think he was prepared as far as footwork's concerned and throwing the football. So I do think it can be corrected a little bit at the next level if he buys into it and he starts to understand timing and footwork. Hitching up in the pocket. The one thing you pointed out, anytime you back out in the pocket, that's catastrophe right there. That's strip, sack, fumbles, um, picks going the other way. So that's what I could have, have some concerns. The other thing I was thinking about, too, though, against tougher opponents, I see him inconsistent with his release, his delivery. He drops his elbow at times. And I feel like that's when some of his inaccuracies occurred. And I don't know if you agree with this or not. I, I agree with you with the Jay Cutler. And I said Locke is kind of like in between a Wentz and, and a Cutler. Just something about him in his pocket. Of course, Wentz is way more polished athletically in a thrower than Locke. But there's something about the way he stands in the pocket. Locke reminds me of Wentz, but I think it more leans towards Cutler. The video you and I watched, I mean, Cutler's footwork was way better than Locke. It was, yeah. And, and now we're talking about this guy being a top pick, so... A lot of things he can improve on. I said ideally, no, I'd like to see him sit in 2019. But as far as a long time's concerned, I mean, if, it, if it's a place he gets drafted, he could sit by behind a franchise quarterback and learn from him for a year or two, it could only benefit him.
3: So there you have it. It's your Drew Locke NFL Draft Profile. People are thinking we're going to pick a quarterback.
1: Eh, I hope not. Cody Ford, tackle. Out of Oklahoma.
3: This is your Cody Ford NFL Draft Profile. When we talk about offensive tackle prospects, we always like to say keep them at tackle as long as they can because the NFL needs offensive tackles. But Cody Ford has experience at guard. We think he'll be a good guard, but do we at least try him at tackle at the next level?
15: I try him at tackle, but I'm not. This is the one prospect where I'm not going to get too upset at you if you say, you know what, he's not athletic enough to hold up that tackle in the NFL. We're going to kick him to guard right away and develop him there, let him go there because played guard back in 2017, 300 plus snaps there at guard. And then right tackle this past season. Now he was fantastic at both in terms of what he brings to the table and pass protection, but it's a little more difficult doing it at the NFL level at tackle, what he's going to face. A lot of three-man contain rushes, pass block for Kyler Murray this past year. Not a lot of guys really attacking him with their speed. So I worry about that at the next level, but I think what he brings to the table in the run game and how well he uses his hands, I think it will translate nicely to guard in the NFL. He's ready to play tomorrow. He's a
1: pro-ready player. He's played all four years. He's a good player. We should pick him up with our offensive line. We need help with that cheese that we have uh, on the line. Rock Yassin, cornerback, Temple.
20: Today we will be breaking down Rock Yassin, the cornerback, out of Temple. He is starting to rise up draft boards. He is starting to get lumped into the same conversation as DeAndre Baker, for who the third best cornerback in this draft is. I personally do not think of him as highly as other people do. But he is a very, very good and highly touted prospect at the cornerback position. I'd probably put him in the same category as Julian Love, Amani warrior Trayvon Mullen, guys like that. I'd probably put him in that category. But Rockison is still a very, very elite cornerback, especially in college. On the outside, he played tremendous in coverage and in run defense. He was one of the best run defenders in all of college football last season at the cornerback position. He has one of the best yards per coverage snap of all draft-eligible cornerbacks, so he is very good in that regard, and he can play both man and zone. Over at Temple, they played a combination zone-concept which means that Rockussen had plenty of time playing both zone defense and man defense, and he was very productive in both. So you know that Rockuson can fit into your system and that versatility is really what teams like. It's really what's pushing him ahead of guys like Julian Love, Armani Warrior, and Trayvon Mullen to push him kind of into that third or fourth cornerback range. In my opinion, personally, I think that Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, and Greedy Williams are in a league of their own up at the top in the cornerback position, but I think that Rocky Sin would be a highly valuable second-round pick at the cornerback position, maybe slipping into the back end of the first round, depending on where the other cornerbacks go, but Rocky very, very good cornerback. He just struggles a little bit, allows a little too many passes to be caught, but he's a tremendous tackler. So, once the passes are caught, he tackles them pretty easily. The one knock on him is his Senior Bowl wasn't fantastic. He was sick for that entire week leading up to the Senior Bowl. So, whether that has something to do with it or not, I don't really know if that impacted his play. But it did seem like Debo Samuel really ate him up all week at the Senior Bowl. But overall, Rocky Sin, very talented prospect on the outside out of temple
1: he's a good player i could go with him this is also a player that should be able to step in and play immediately for the raiders greedy williams
3: quarterback lsu welcome in along with mike renner i'm steve Palazzolo, and this is your greedy williams nfl draft profile mike when we talk about greedy williams We've given him the label as maybe the best press corner in this draft. I do think, even though we, we put a first round grade on him, he might not be a fit for everybody. But for those man coverage teams, they should really like his skill set. Yeah, almost six foot two, just a shade under that. I do worry about he's a
15: little on the slider side at 185 pounds, but I think he'd grow into that frame. Got the length, got the size that you want, and then impressed man coverage there in the SEC. He held up with wide receivers that. Will be playing in the NFL 21 pass breakups over the last two years and only coming out as a redshirt sophomore. I mean, his redshirt freshman season, what he did that year in the SEC with a 90-plus coverage grade, I mean, that's just, that's elite-level play that while he took a step back this year, you think he'll be able to recapture and develop into in the NFL.
3: Yeah, when we're evaluating corners here at PFF, because, you know, a season really is a small sample size when it comes to cornerback play. When you look at the two seasons and stack them up, it gives you just a better profile of that player. Yeah. And Greedy's right up there with DeAndre Baker of Georgia, Byron Murphy of Washington, as the highest graded players over the last two years. And if you look at just the passer rating against in his two year career at LSU, 39.3. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. It's like throwing the ball into the dirt every single yeah. time, as our guy Sam likes to say. Um, again, we said he's not a fit for everybody because... I do think he excels in press man coverage, but playing off coverage, not as good of a feel, maybe playing in space. Yeah, his
15: off coverage is definitely not uh, on par with other cornerbacks in this class in terms of breaking out balls in zone, reading route concepts. So I think you best off have him in press man coverage. He doesn't have the quick hips or the quick, you know, change of direction that some of the other corners have either. I didn't even actually do a shuttle or a three cone as pro day or at the comma I didn't even do those tests, which is always, you know, a little... Why aren't you doing it? That's a little suspect, but 437 speed, what he can do in press coverage, you can't really teach a guy to do. So from that perspective, if you're a man-heavy team, you should be coveting him, probably as your number one corner.
3: Yeah, the straight line stuff was spectacular. You mentioned Mm -hmm. the 40 time, a 1.51, 10-yard dash, so everything in a straight line is really, really good for Greedy Williams. The other thing I think that you notice is when he went up against DK Metcalf, the big freakish wide receiver from Mm -hmm. Ole Miss, he handled his speed and his size better than anyone last season. Uh, There were many plays where you saw Metcalf either overpower uh, corners at the line of scrimmage or just run away from them. Greedy had that second gear to be able to stick with him down the field. I think that was very telling.
15: Yeah, a lot of people are pointing that out as, oh, worrisome for Metcalf at the next level. I don't think it's that worrisome to me. It's just that Greedy Williams is that good. You know, Greedy Williams has that potential at the next level to stick with the Julio Joneses of the world when not a lot of cornerbacks in the NFL do.
1: I like his name, Greedy Williams. He plays really good, too. He also could start right away. Daryl Henderson from Memphis. I'm not sure about this guy. I haven't known that much about him.
7: Today we're looking at another running back in Memphis's Daryl Henderson. Maybe the only running back in this class with truly an elite trait. I'm talking about his speed and his breakaway ability, of course. John, this guy rushed for a tremendous 8.9 yards per carry in 2018. Does he carry this over to the NFL, or is this just a a gimmicky college kind of fluky statistic that is going to be left behind when he moves to the next level? Andy, I am an unabashed American Athletic Conference fan, one of the few in the country, I think, and I saw the former Memphis star play often over the past two seasons, and you are absolutely right about his elite trait as a home run hitter. He is just a fantastic runner in the open field, and he can score from anywhere on the field. He recorded back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. 33% 33% of his touches eclipsed eight yards and 12% exceeded 20 yards, including 16 touchdowns. When you watch him play, you might wonder, oh, he's doing okay. Three yards, four yards, and pow, 50 yards down the field
12: for the home run. Daryl Henderson. Ooh, man, this guy's lightning in a bottle, okay? This is probably the guy, um, maybe the most dangerous guy in space in the NFL draft. Henderson is a weapon this day and age in the nfl catches the ball i mean catches the ball block. can really run routes a true football player yes can block can do everything uh that you want as far as out of a running back and i think he's the type of guy too paul that can be okay he can be our bell cow a little bit he's very good at avoiding avoiding car crash hits for a smaller guy because he is 5 8 he's right around a little over 200 pounds um So forget about what he can do there. But the thing that also impressed me, I mean, again, he could run jet sweeps. You could line him up at slot receiver. The things I saw when they got in empty formations and had him run routes, he could be a special route runner as well, let alone a game breaker, screen game, things like that in space. It's off the charts. It's phenomenal. After listening to all this praise, this is the point. Of your of your list, and I always come to this, yeah. where I say, why isn't he ranked higher? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, again, because the two guys that are in front of him are pretty impressive. But, is there anything to. about, Daryl where you're hedging your bets, whether no, it's his I think size or something you said. The, the size would be probably the one thing that concerns me. You said 5'8"? Yes, 5'8". At first I thought, ooh, okay, you know, is this guy, can he be a bell cow type running back? Will he be explosive and you, in week 12? you say 12? yes. I do think yes. And then I also questioned, like, Okay, you know, the competition he's playing here, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. But then he gets on the field with teams like UCF, who I know, University of Central Florida, who have professional defensive backs, and I see him running for 50 and 60-yard touchdowns and making people miss and highlight real runs. Then I go, okay, no, this is legit, this kid. His, he plays faster than his 448 4 combine speed. And, uh, yeah, no, he's a good player. You think he'll be around after round two? I, I think he is a I think he is going to be a debatable late second round okay. pick right around that range. Uh I think he is definitely worthy of that type of uh that type of, you know, what do I want to say? Pick or that, or play or whatever the hell I'm trying to say. Sounds like he could be value in the second or, or third round, yeah. or who yeah. knows, maybe even higher.
1: We need a beast running back. Whoever it may be, we need a bruiser because we have the finesse player already offensive guard chris lindstrom boston college
21: Welcome to footballgameplan.com, where football makes sense. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the Playbook here at the 2019 Reese's Senior Bowl with Boston College offensive lineman Chris Lindstrom. How you doing, man?
13: Good, good. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to be here, and I can't wait for a great week. Well, it's, I feel like I've seen you grow up, man. Right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah,
21: yeah. we, we talked when you were back in high school. You right, reached out right. to us. We did this podcast of high school prospects. Right. And to see you grow from where you
13: were yeah.
21: to where you are now, it's been great to see. How has that journey been for you?
13: Uh, it's been an amazing uh, experience uh, coming out of high school school I was undersized and I was thankful that Coach Dazio gave me the opportunity to play at Boston College and uh, I really loved my time at BC. Um, It it was a special place and I was with a special group of guys and I think that that made the journey that much better and uh, I ended up having a successful career there and I was thankful for that and thankful for the coaches and the people that i was able to be around and learn from
21: well i think people don't understand the part of being undersized right because right. He, as an undersized offensive lineman you right. have to be technical yeah you're going to gain weight right, right and so you were able to bring the technicality to the position while mm-hmm. also adding weight right. that made you the prospects you are so mm-hmm. how mentally were you able to overcome that block that everybody mm-hmm. kind of say oh you're too small you're too small too small right. but you were able to stay mm-hmm. uh, in tune to what you are and help yourself grow into this player
13: uh, a big thing that I think that my experience of playing as an undersized freshman was was it taught me how to prepare and how to prepare properly. Um, also, it forced me to use technique because I wasn't physically physically able to move guys without technique, and I had coaches who were detail-oriented, and those details in the run game and pass game and in our technique and preparation off the field to be ready for the game uh, was a big step in helping me learn and get to the player I am, and then the physical stuff, like you said, just comes with it. There was one game in particular against a premier matchup. I'm yeah. not gonna bring it up. <laughs> I'm not gonna say the player.
21: It was a premier matchup yeah. where you were able to stonewall constantly because you played calm. That person was over aggressive trying to fly in the backfield. He was Mm -hmm. able to match that with calmness. Mm -hmm. How important is that as an offensive line to remain calm? That way you can still execute at a high level.
13: Yeah, I think um, you have to stay in your fundamentals. No matter what the situation is or the game or the pressure, you kind of have to relax mentally and really just focus on what the details of your play is, what the defense is presenting, and then your technique as it relates to that. And so being able to maintain your fundamentals while also playing really hard and, and attacking the defense and firing out hard but maintaining a balance and and really a control about yourself. One thing I didn't know
21: about the running back position going into college was how important it was to understand defensive fronts. I didn't right. know a lot in high school, but college right. I had to learn D-line mm-hmm. and linebackers and how they align. Right. As an offensive lineman, what did you know going in and what did you have to learn uh, once you got mm-hmm.
13: in? I knew uh, basic like the Bear Bryant counting system and stuff like that. So I knew like how to line guys up, but I didn't know truly like what the formations are, like the – the defensive formation over, under, all that stuff. I didn't know, I couldn't draw any pressures. And so when I got there as a freshman, you know, that's one of the biggest adjustments I think coming out of high school, like you said, your experience, and I think that's pretty familiar with a lot of guys coming out of high school going into, into programs is trying to learn, understanding like what the defense does as well and being able to draw that. And so I was thankful enough with our coaches, they really ripped that into us, was being able to draw what the defense does as well, because that's a big step in learning learning at least your offense
21: if you were to meet someone that's unfamiliar with your game like Mm -hmm. what does Chris Lindstrom bring to the table Mm -hmm. what one game would you point him to and say this shows you everything that I
13: have Uh, I would say Clemson this year or or Miami this year you know those are two of the marquee matchups that we had and I think I played my best game in in those big uh, prime time games and uh, I'd be really proud to watch the tape and sit down with someone and and have them watch that. And uh, you know, Coach Adazio talked about a lot is autographing your tape. And so that'd be something that I'd, I'd autograph like those those games. Well,
21: you had all the great
13: signatures throughout your career, yeah, man. Yeah. We wish you the best of luck.
1: I won't say no to any offensive lineman. However, when you're this high in the first round, ah, oh, you know what? We got to pick up the big men. They they get they go early. They don't hang around. You can't pick guys up that are six foot six, three hundred and ten pounds everywhere. They're not they're not walking around on the street all over the place. So I wouldn't mind a pick on the offensive line. Byron Murray. Byron Murphy. Cornerback Washington. Lot of buzz about that kid.
16: John Gruden holding the cards here in that pocket of gold, like you said, with those three first round picks. You don't know what will happen. The University of Washington has three players that DJ has, Dan Jeremiah, in his top 50. One of them, a corner, Byron Murphy, and he caught up with our very own Omar Ruiz at the Huskies Pro Day yesterday. It's time for today's Pro Day Report, presented by Lowe.
22: Byron Murphy joining us now, less than three weeks to go Thanks, until the NFL draft. What did you want to accomplish here in front of the scouts and evaluators today? Yes, sir. The biggest thing, you know, doing my agility drills. You know, I didn't do my the combine, so just coming out here, showing them what I can do in my agility drills. When I watch your tape, you know, you're capable of a big hitter, but you also had great ball skills. How would you describe your style of play? Uh, the best corner, you know. I think I'm the best corner in the nation, but like you said, big hitter. I can make tackles. I can cover ball skills. I think I have the best. And then a corner who can just, you know, play man zone. All the above to me. How important is it for you to be the first corner off the board? It's very important. You know, that's My, my mindset is different. You know? I'm the best corner. I think I should be the number one corner taken off the board. What's your case when you're meeting with people, when you're meeting with teams? What are you telling them why you are the best corner in the in this draft? The biggest thing for me is my film. You know, film is going to speak for everything. You know, they go back, watch my games, see my techniques, see everything I can do. So obviously they've seen it on my film. What's your attitude when the ball's in the air? Go get it, attack the ball. Yes, sir. Cool. Making sure I come down with it. We'll go get it and attack the draft. Congratulations on all your successes and good luck uh, in a few weeks. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Byron. Appreciate it.
9: All right, Stray cornerback Byron Murphy, we just heard from. Do You have him going as the first corner off the board. In your eyes, with who you've
18: talked to, what makes Murphy
12: the best cornerback
18: in this draft? He's polished. He is what he is. He's a technician, and this is a guy who, in college, like he said, you watch the film, it's consistent. You're getting exactly what you're getting from Byron Murphy, and he's a 5'10", solid cornerback who wants to be the first cornerback taken in the draft. That's your... I don't want to say safe pick, but this is a guy who will play in the NFL. Then there's Greedy Williams out of LSU, who's taller, faster. But the film isn't nearly as consistent, and there are moments of serious concern. So you start wondering. It's almost like you're going to the the ice cream shop. There's 31 flavors in your corners. Mm. Do you want the guy who might not have the measurables – Byron Murphy but does have the film and all the years of starting and success or you want the guy that's the big swing prospect that could somehow end up being Richard Sherman because of the size and the build that's Greedy Williams. I think Byron Murphy will be the first cornerback taken. I think Peterson up there in Washington had a history of it. I think now they have a history of cornerbacks that go in the NFL. Buda Baker, Kevin King. Time and time again, there are guys who go in the top 40 picks and they work out at the next level. Byron Murphy, to me, is that guy. Consistent technician. He's not going to burn you in a big play. But there are other names that might be sexier or flashier when it comes to who we want for the big swing at cornerback.
16: And it depends, I'm sure, on what your division looks like. What kind of wide receivers is this guy going to go up against? Do you want the faster guy?
1: Riley Ridley, right receiver, Georgia.
23: Hello, I am Chad Johnson. I am here with my good friend and Hall of Fame receiver, Terrell Owens, an up-and-coming draft prospect, one of the best receivers in the nation, Riley Ridley. Riley Ridley
24: stepping
25: up. Touchdown, Riley Ridley.
19: What do you feel like your best asset is as, as a receiver? Right now, I'm physical,
22: okay? I'm physical, more physical than any receiver going into the draft, I'm more physical than
19: any DB. So that's something that you don't have to work on. So now, you gotta worry about, work on the finesse part of the game. So you got T, mm-hmm. yeah, muscle, right. physical,
23: so, physical, get through you, and then you have my skill set which is completely opposite. <laughs> don't touch me, how I like to do it, like I like to get Jiggy at the line. Man, let's ride with me. Oh, excuse me. There you go. And I need
19: all this space. My coach said one of the, he said this to me because he knew I liked basketball. Right. And this is what clicked for me. He said, you have to treat the defensive back like you're playing one-on-one. If you're playing one-on-one and you're trying to get by me, what are you gonna do? I
22: gotta make some you moves. gotta make me
19: move. Right. Same thing with every route, pretty much.
22: Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to score a bucket. That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm here. Okay. I'm going to give you two steps, and I'm getting right into this. Okay, so, so I'm here, and I'm gone.
25: Let's take a look at Riley Ridley. This video won't be long. I only want to touch on his route running here. I think he's the best route runner in this class, and... You know, with a lot of this Georgia offensive stuff that they do, you know, there's a lot of miles to feed. So Riley doesn't really get a lot of targets in his whole collective game log, if you look at it or whatnot. But I'm just here to just highlight some of these routes that he runs, uh, just to kind of make my case for why I think he's the the best route runner in this class, and he runs it with a lot of nuance. Now, when you think about a lot of these college receivers, man, you'll probably see a head fake or something like like just just running deep, running running the the nine goal, whatever you'll probably see like like a quick head fake to the inside, then they'll go, you know what I mean? Or they'll just go, right? What well, we see from Riley is we get a whole step. We see some stuttering feet. We get some hands, okay, and we see an entire step to the inside. Now, what's that for? Because we want this DB to actually feel that we're going that way. We want to sell fear. We want to project as many routes as we can um, that really ain't the route that we're going. And Riley knows that he got to get to the outside, so he needs this DB to turn in, and that's what he did right there. Riley achieved it by turning this DB's hips to the inside with that step to the inside. Not a head fake. Not just a uh, to the inside, but an entire step, then back inside, and he's NFL wide open at that point, really, right? And he was able to achieve this with just a little bit of detail of getting the DB's hips turned first, right? And he's wide the hell open, NFL standard, wide the hell open. I think we've got plenty of power at the wide receiver position, but
1: then again, you just don't know. Who's going to be on the board right then? Jonathan Abram,
9: Mississippi State. He's a safety. Now listen, he's one of the hardest-hitting DBs in college football, oh. period. Everybody loves your take. Yes, sir. Come downhill, playmaker, bring that thumper. You ran a 4-4-5. Four, four, I really ran faster. Okay, well talk about that. What did you run, and then do you think you did enough to be the first
23: safety off the board? Uh, I did. I mean, just going in, my whole mindset was just going in to check all the boxes, and i pretty much done that. My original time, I think it was like a 4-4-2. Okay. So you're, you're a low 4-4 guy, what you're saying. I, if you just watch, I never, like, pushed it.
9: Okay, all right. I was just cruising. I okay. you know, was cruise control. Are you the, a cruise control? Well, you're not going to be in cruise control once you get drafted. Are you the mm. best safety in this draft? Yes, by far. By far, why?
23: Uh, I mean, mentally, you know, no one's going to be where I'm at as far as just knowledge for the game. No one tackles as well as me. Mm. Like, and as far as I set the pace for the guys. Like, we had a lot of great guys, like Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat. But you can ask all of those guys. Mm. I got everybody going. I set the pace. I was the front runner. Mm. Do I have all these interviews, top 30 meetings? Who you got? Throw them out. Uh, Rams coming up. Okay. Cowboys, Tampa, Cardinals. Okay. Right, you don't have to remember them. Heavy hitters. I have a lot. A I've okay. been pretty much loaded ever since the senior bowl. I had like, I met mean, with 16 GMs there had 24 formals at the Combine, so Mm. I've been loaded up. And what's the biggest message
0: you try and get across in these interviews knowing that you got this little snippet of time to convince these teams, hey, take
23: me? I mean, that I'm the best safety in this draft, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Okay. Mm
9: -hmm. I like that.
7: Well, listen, you're incredibly well-dressed. Yes. You're put together. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're an incredible personality. Okay. But you turn on this dude's tape, and he will mess you up. I'm telling you, you can hit. (laughs) And that's that's may be a lost art sometimes in this league.
1: Well, we just got a pretty good safety in free agency. I'm not sure. Irv Smith Jr., tight end Alabama, all day long.
26: So looking at Irv Smith Jr., he became one of Alabama's most versatile weapons, one of the top offensive weapons they went to, and especially being in that unique position as a tight end. How does his skill set really translate at the NFL level?
27: It's funny for Irv because Alabama's had some great tight ends. You have Ozzie Newsom that's come through Alabama. You've had guys like O.J. Howard, yet the school single-season record holder for not only receiving yards but also receiving touchdowns by tight end, Irv Smith really talented playmaker, really athletic kid that I, I think is going to do nothing but help himself during the course of the draft process when he gets a chance to, to go out there and be able to show that athleticism even more, especially in an NFL combine type setting. So Irv has run as fast as 4-5 or five in the 40-yard dash in the 40 at Alabama, which for somebody 240-245 pounds, obviously a very good time. Continue to improve as a blocker at Alabama, which to go along with the playmaking ability and athleticism, I, I think will really help him. And I view Irv as somebody who's probably going into this process most likely as a hey, I don't know, a second or third round type figure. But when he has a chance to go out there and, and test out and show teams even more that athleticism, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if Irv puts himself in the first round conversation even more.
1: We need a tight end. We need a really good tight end that's blocking and catching both. We can use that. Not just a blocking tight end or a catching tight end like Zach Miller did both. We need a guy that can do
3: both. Marcus Brown, my receiver. Marcus Brown, Mike. He's been injured but went on the field one of the best deep threats in this entire draft class. Yeah, he is
15: arguably the most electric wide receiver in college football this past season in terms of what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch. Getting open down the field, he was so much fun to watch in that Oklahoma offense, but he doesn't come without red flags. The Liz Frank injury, excuse me, the contested catch issues, only three contested catches this past season when you look at some other guys, 17, 18 in his draft class. He just did not have many opportunities, he's not that type of receiver, and the size, only 166 pounds he weighed in at the combine.
3: Can we still get value out of Marquise Brown because of that speed and the deep threat ability? Him and Kyler Murray. They were great together. Him and Baker Mayfield, they were great together. Does it matter that he only had three contested catches last year, five over the last two years? in this draft class of monsters who can go up and get the ball. If he's that fast and he can separate, doesn't even matter. Yeah, you do worry
15: about him being on this Tavon Austin to Deshaun Jackson spectrum in terms of smaller wide receivers. Tavon Austin, it hasn't worked out. His pr- production there at West Virginia has not translated to the NFL. Deshaun Jackson, it did work out. He's been one of the best deep threats in the NFL over the course of his entire career. Which side of the spectrum does he fall on? I lean more to the Deshaun Jackson side when you look at what he could do with the ball in his hands through contact. You know, a lot of Tavon Austin's stuff was he just made guys miss completely, but when he got touched, he was going down. Marquise Brown could actually play through contact. It's time to talk about NFL player comparisons. And as you can see behind me, the comparison
9: is Oklahoma wide receiver Marquise. Check out this nickname. Hollywood Brown and Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. And think about it, though. d shorter guy, smaller, a little frail when he first came in the league. Of course, he put on a little weight, but he had that speed, though. Hollywood Brown, the same thing, 5'9", 166. So you're thinking, oh, he's little. Doesn't have that much weight behind him. But he got speed, though. One thing I learned when I came in, you don't need to have weight if you have one thing that coaches can't coach, and that is absolute lightning fast route running ability. So for me, I'm looking at this young man to have a comparison right away just like DJ. So let's take a look at where some of our colleagues have him going in their mock drafts. Schrager has him going to Oakland. Love it. At 27. Alongside, this is what you didn't know, his cousin Antonio Brown. How about oh. that? Playing with your big cuz.
1: Dalton Riser, offensive tackle.
9: All
3: right, Mike, the monster. Kansas State offensive tackle. Dalton Riser, an outstanding four-year career. Just consistently graded well in our system. We have him as a first-round talent for the draft. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at his grading,
15: it's about as good as we've seen in our system over four years at right tackle for Kansas State. I mean, just every single year, quality grades this past season. Nearly unbeatable in pass section. He had a handful of times that he lost, but, I mean, over the course of you know a few hundred snaps this season, almost inconsequential. All the data points to him translating to the NFL. Tested great athletically at the Combine. I think he's a very safe projection to the next level by everything the data says.
3: A lot of people talk about the challenge of projecting college players to the NFL, especially with spread offenses and the different styles that they play in college. And I think there's a little bit a little bit of that with Reisner, with how many three-man rushes they, you see in the Big 12, how many uh, contain rushes you see in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really go up against a whole lot of speed rushers. We saw him go up against Montez Sweat, who's getting all that top 10 hype out of yeah. Mississippi State. One or two losses, yeah. tops, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he dominated there. He's good against length. He's just so strong and powerful. I guess the only question is, despite all the grading, was he challenged enough by those speedy edge rushers? That is the thing. In the Big
15: 12, the guys he faced, I think you can only block the guy in front of you, and he blocked the guy in front of him better than any other tackle in this draft class.
3: Yeah, well, if you break down all of the stats past blocking grade among all of the top offensive tackle prospects, he's right up there. Pass blocking efficiency, he's right up there. Run blocking grade, he's number one. Mm-hmm. You made a comparison a couple years ago with Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs, even though he's a defensive lineman, and you said, man, he's just so strong in his hands. He doesn't look like he's doing much, but he's moving but yeah. people. That's what Reisner reminds me of. When he gets his hands on people, they're done. He will lock them out, they're done, whether it's run game or in pass protection.
15: Yeah, and he has the length, 34 inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands, to make you think that. He doesn't have to kick inside. A lot of people are kicking him to center, kicking the guard, but he has the athleticism, length, and hand size. He can play tackle in the NFL. You should be evaluating him as a tackle at the NFL level, and I think
3: there's no reason to me that he shouldn't be able to hold up there. I think he's a safe projection at tackle. We have him in the first-round range compared to some of these other guys. But if we're sitting here five years from now and we're saying, wow, Reisner has become a top-five right tackle in the NFL, any surprise from you? No, wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. All right, there you go. Dalton Reisner, one of the few first-round offensive tackles here in the draft. It's your Dalton Reisner NFL draft profile.
1: Those are the kind of the names that are being thrown around. But I'm telling you, the board is already set. Everything is set. They know who they're going to pick. Everybody does. they've known it for weeks. They're just waiting for the day when they all get together in a room, and the draft starts. And like I said, as soon as the first player falls at a line with most drafts, it's like a <laughs> it's like a tumbler, everything follows ever, falls all over the place, and you really don't know where everyone's going to go. Which which is crazy. But it's the draft. It's exciting. It's a great thing. It improves our team. Four picks. Well, three picks. And one on, on pick 34, which is pretty high still. This should help the Raiders go to the next level. I ain't kidding. This could propel the team for the next six, seven years. These players. This could drive this team to a Super Bowl. I'm not kidding. Yes, Super Bowl, you heard me say. This draft for the Oakland Raiders is that friggin' important. You know, Veggie, with his draft picks, pretty far stretch, except for the two that fell in his lap, Cooper and Mack, because we were so horrible. Uh, Not that his drafting genius got those two players. It was luck. So I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad that he's not anywhere near this draft pick because with Mayock and Gruden, I'm hoping that we get the success we need out of all these players. And please, please, no quarterbacks. And that is all I have to say about that hold up, hold up there is drama in Alameda with the Raiders with all this hullabaloo in the United States with with all that's going on in the news I don't need to mention it It's happening in the Oakland Raiders building itself. Yes, you've heard it. You've seen it. I can't believe it. It's childish. It's unprofessional. But I guess this is our new norm. That people that work for the Oakland Raiders in the drafting department, hired by Reggie McKenzie, so they say, are leaking the board to other people. Maybe they're getting paid. I don't know. But it sure sounds stupid. Sure sounds really childish and unprofessional. But, and I'm sure these people are going to be found out and fired. I don't get it. I don't understand why it would happen. But here's how I know it's happening. The Oakland Raiders has relieved all their staff, draft pick staff, for the Easter holiday. And guess what? They're not coming back until after the draft. And I am sure that some of them will not be coming back.
11: From what I understand, Mike Mayock, the new general manager, and coach John Gruden are sending their scouts away from the facility... Home for Easter weekend. That is not uncommon in the NFL. A lot of buildings are like that. But from what I am told, what makes this uncommon is they are not expected back before the draft. And the reason for this is because Mike Mayock does not know who he can trust with his draft secrets. Uh, He does not know who he can talk to, does not know who he can kind of confide in. And it is no surprise there's going to be some significant turnover in the scouting department for the Raiders after the draft based on all of that Seems like Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden are going to be among the very, very, very few people in the know in the Raiders and also physically in the building come draft time.
4: That is the rap sheet Ian and Rapaport earlier this morning on NFL Network. And well, there you go in the nutshell. And I just want to share this tweet from Gil Brett uh, about this notion with the Raiders. They're going to sit all the scouts away, as you heard from Rap Sheet. Gil Brett said, Pop. We never cleared a room, but sometimes we laid traps for scouts we didn't trust. In 1987, we showed our boards a scout with us taking linebacker Mike Junkin, a linebacker we didn't like. Two days later, Cowboys beat writer Jim Dent wrote a story saying we were taking Junkin, hook, line, stinker. Uh, (laughs) A lot of scouts like to leak things. I don't know. Uh, You've been around this stuff for a long time, Pop. What do you make of what John Gruden and Mike Mayock are doing for the draft, sending their scouts away so nobody can leak information?
5: Yeah, it's uh, the only question I would have is are they going to bring them back or are they going to fire them all uh, after the draft? So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the Raiders scouts I'm very close with. And, uh, you know, I communicate with them over the weekend about a few players and I got nothing back uh, and then reached out again today. And there's a great concern that their phones are are being uh, monitored. So they're calling on outside lines. So uh, this is not that uncommon. Uh, In the NFL, especially when you have an organizational shift, Uh, bringing in uh, Mike Mayock, Joey uh, Klinkscales uh, was let go. And there's a lot of people, you know, Sean Harrock, I think, is still there as director of college scouting. And Dane was let go. Uh, A few other people that I know. People have been working for the Raiders for years and years with Al. Uh, So it's been a transformation. A lot of those people were let go when uh, Reggie came in. You know, we had John Kingdon, my very good friend, my spotter, uh, was let go, uh, and uh, a few others. You know, since Reggie was let go, so there's a there's a, a transition there. It's not that uncommon where uh, you don't want to fight. So in the off season, there, there really is no off season as far as preparing for the draft. You know, the the guys that were working on the draft, We've been working on the draft since last, you know, Labor Day weekend when college football started, and they were working on it before. So even, you know, you go through a year and the year's not going well and you start firing people, but these guys have been out beating the bushes for you for months looking at college football players and you've been paying them, so you don't want to just fire them all. But at the same time, you're going to get rid of them after the draft. And they know that. Uh, I remember uh, one of the most uh, well-known cases of this, or at least you know, I knew about it, and I think people knew the contentious time when Art Shell was the head coach and Mike Lombardi, who's our friend, has been on the show many times, was still with the Raiders. And Mike and Art uh, didn't get along. Mike did not respect his, uh, his offense and Tom Shaw's offense and was leaking it to people that he knows in the media. And Al knew that. And then Art Shell came out one day and said, what did he say, we got a fox in the hen house? Yeah, Something yeah, like that, I think, like was that. the line. And Al uh, just iced Mike Lombardi out. And you would never been iced until you're iced by Al Davis. <laughs> I mean, he is uh, Mr. Freeze. So Lombardi still continued there, but Al never spoke to him. And the second the draft was over on that Sunday, he fired him. And then Mike went to work uh, on a non-paid way with Mike Shanahan, Mel's mortal enemy. So in any event, it, it's a little bit of a dance here where you do want you, – you want to use their legwork because they have been working on these college-eligible draft players for months, and you paid them. So you want to see their reports on the players. But then Mayock gets hired. When was Mayock hired? Like in January, late January? Late January, I believe right before so, the senior ball I think yeah yeah so then he comes in and now you know uh and I remember you know texting some of the scouts back then are you going to you know do you have a job still there and they said for now for the moment and then you know so I think they know they're not going to have a job and what they're doing then is they're trying to get their next job it's all this happens with coaching staffs late in the year when the season's going south last two or three weeks of the year they're lining up college jobs and so there's a lot of this where you don't know who you can trust when you're in the middle of a, a losing time. So, you know, John did bring in our friend Dave Rosano as the director of football research. And I know Dave, you know, going back to his days with Arizona, he used to come on Chronicle Live with me. He's a guy who's done some scouting. So I'm sure there are people there that know they're going to continue uh, beyond the draft. Uh, when April 27th rolls around, you know, the final day of the draft, they're still going to have a job. There are some that I think are into that. And the people that are not, then they're kind of in limbo. So, and also, you know, why would you do it now? This is usually the weekend. And Al, you know, would do it on Easter Sunday, uh, where you would, you know, bring all the scouts in. So, you know, all the intelligence work on the players is pretty much done. You're not allowed to have any more, you know, bring the players to your building. All those meetings are done. So the draft is in a week. So, uh, you know, by this weekend, all the grades are on every single player. Now it's time to set your draft board. Not just what you're going to do at 4, but what do you think at a 24, 27, 35, the whole thing. So now is when... You know, the little little John likes Kyler Murray, John's in love with Dwayne Haskins, all that kind of stuff gets out. But now when they set the board, you don't want that information getting out. And so now this is what we're going to do on April 25, 26, and 27. This is is who we like. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And this is top secret. This is only our board. Everybody's got their own opinion. So, you know, when you really start to finalize your board – which would probably be right now. You're doing it today and tomorrow and over the weekend and the next week you're you're ready to go and then you go through all the mocks and simulations and what if we trade back and we do this and you can't you can't have people knowing what you're thinking. So this is this is not like the Raiders are dysfunctional and what's right. it's just a transition going from Reggie from John to having Reggie hang around for a year and all his people. And then Joey leaves and Reggie leaves and then Dave Rizzano comes in. And then, you know, you make the real big change and you bring in Mike Mayock. Daniel Jeremiah is going to join us in a little bit. Yep. I was hoping to get Daniel to tell us what Mayock's thinking. But I guess <laughs> that's knows. not going to happen now. Maybe. You see his latest Mike. <laughs> Mayock <laughs> will get fired. <laughs> Problem <laughs> is when you have all these people that have worked in the media, like John. Right. And like Mike Mayock and, Mike, and like Mike Lombardi. They're talkers, yeah. <laughs> and people love to tell other people what they know. It's just human nature. And Mike's big problem, Lombardi. And I love Mike Lombardi, but he would he'd be talking to CBS and HBO partly because he was trying to get a job. And Al would trap him. He would give him a piece of information, and then he knows where did that come from. It had to come from you. Wow. So I mean that that is done a little bit, but it's it's human nature. If you know you're going to get fired come May Day and you're really? sinking, and it's May Day, May Day. You try to get a job. So, uh, you know, I'll call this team. Uh, hey, you want to hire me? Sure. What's group you going to do at number four? I love Skylar. Rudy. So, was, I mean, it's just it's right. human nature. You got so many people involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are hundreds of scouts when they get in the draft room. There's all kinds of people. So it's just not that the Raiders are dysfunctional. They're going through a transition stage right now and. You know, when guys are coming and going, and the guys that are going, you, you don't know if you can trust those guys. How can you?
1: So I guess loose lips are sinking ships in Alameda. I don't get it. doesn't make any sense. It's football. You know, come
7: on, man. The Raiders may not be telling the scouting department a whole lot of anything, but it's a little bit different situation with your brother?
12: Yeah, well, I mean, as far as the draft goes, not really. But, okay. but as far as free agency, like everything leading up to this point, mm-hmm. Derek's been able to kind of tell me, what moves they were going to make, and then they'd go out and make them. So Mike and John have been really good about kind of giving Derek information, and that makes you feel good because you listen to some quarterbacks around the league, like in Arizona, Josh oh. Rosen has no idea what's happening, right? So that's, okay. that's a good thing. But the interesting part here is they might be onto to something because if no one knows, right, except yep. the people that are in that building, and we found out that all the, everyone's going home, I mean, maybe they were right. Maybe there are some leaks in that <laughs> yeah. building, right? So they might be onto something. But I yeah. get it because there's the twin brother of a GM that John Gruden fired in the building there. So, I mean, there's some things going on, inner workings that they're going to have to sort through. Now, Marcel, <laughs>
7: seven seasons, of course, with the Raiders. Have you ever seen an instance like this before? Listen,
8: spending my time in Oakland and uh, gaining family and friends there okay. as I have, I can guarantee you that over at 1220 Harbor Bay Parkway, this is not a rash emotional decision. There was a lot of time and effort put into this decision in order to protect the investment of this draft. Everyone knows that this is an important draft for the entire Raider Nation as a whole and for the future of the Raiders, and they're going to protect that. This was a decision made by the three-headed monster of Mark Davis, John Gruden, and Mike Mayock, and I think it's the right decision.
1: Some of the scouts evidently are trying to make a little extra money. I don't get it. Give me that job. I'd love it. But other than that, our draft board is set. I know it. And, um, well, this is kind of weird that this would happen to the Raiders. And all this, you know, would make national news. I just think it's weird. But, uh, well, adios to those scouts who, uh, well, who did the nasty.
25: I swear!
28: London calling to the faraway towns Now war is declared And battle come down
1: Alright, London calling Yeah, London's calling London's calling for four seasons in a row The Raiders are going to play in London four seasons in a row Because they got their stadium deep. Mark, a.k.a. Moe, with that haircut, Davis, has bent over, spread his cheeks, and said, NFL, come on inside, will you? He's open for business, and, well, the Raiders are going to travel to London for four seasons in a row for, well, for Mark's golden, platinum stadium. Don't get me wrong. Stadium's awesome. I love it. Matter of fact, You know, from the ground up, you can look on the Raiders' site and see how the building is coming together, how it started, and how the practice facility got there. I mean, there's a whole lot going on. And it's all going on there. I'm kind of disheveled, kind of pissed, because nothing's going on here. As a matter of fact, the local news doesn't even cover them here any longer. The Oakland Raiders are a past tense in the Bay Area. The fans are still here. A lot of people can't wait to go to the games. I mean, I'm not going this season for a couple reasons. One, Gruden lied, and I can't buy that. I ain't going there because I I already spent my money last year. um, Because we're gonna do all we can to get a championship in Oakland. Bullshit. That's as much bullshit as I've heard. Ever. Because what he did was dismantle a team into a terrible season, horrible, couldn't give my tickets away. I lit my fireplace with my tickets uh to one game. Because nobody even wanted to go. So I'm not buying tickets this year uh for that reason. But even if I was, I look at the schedule and holy crap! Between September 15th and November third. There isn't a home game. That's seven weeks, including the buy. So, all those people spending money on tickets, there's going to be seven weeks in the chunk of the season. There's going to be C- seagulls, will definitely be owning the Coliseum in the very end. But this season, seven, count them, seven weeks. Between home games, well, that's a little much for me. Us and Tampa Bay were the two teams that got screwed this year. Uh, We've been screwed a
26: few years. First of all, the Raiders sort of got hosed with their schedule. So did Tampa Bay. The London games, basically Tampa Bay and Oakland have a six-week stretch in which they don't play. Uh, they play four times on the road. Then they go to you know London, Oakland does. They already got hosed uh, by their schedule. NFL admitted today it's not ideal for Tampa or Oakland, and Oakland doesn't play at home for about five, six weeks, and their division's really good. But that London thing's not going away because uh, British is getting more popular in America and the NFL's getting more popular in Europe. Billionaires are seizing market share in other countries. It's called globalization. It's going nowhere. Let's go over the Raiders' schedule and play the win-loss game. Because I, I last year I was out on the Raiders, got a lot of heat from people in Los Angeles, and I was right. I'm not much higher on them now, although I do think offensively they're going to be fun to watch. And I did give Gruden credit because I thought the Raiders played pretty well late in the year when everybody could have quit on John Gruden, and the players did not quit on John Gruden, so he deserves credit. Let's play the win-loss game. Uh, open up with Denver at home. I'll give him a W. Denver in Denver early, and you don't want to play him. but Denver on the road, W. Then their schedule gets brutal. Kansas City, they're going to get whacked. At Minnesota, at Indy, they're not winning those games. Minnesota is not great at quarterback. They're great everywhere else. You're not beating Andrew Luck in a dome. They go to London. They'll get mauled by Chicago. They're not beating Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. So they're going to start the year 1-5. and I'll give them an upset win. They'll be an underdog at Houston, um, mostly because I think they're upgrading their defense through the draft, and Houston's O-line is bad. I'll give them a W over Detroit. What do you know, a two-game winning streak? But then they got to face the Chargers' loss. Cincinnati will win, uh, despite what all you kids think. Traveling 3,000 miles to play the Jets, that's not going to be good for them. That's a loss. Mahomes' loss. Tennessee's going to be a borderline playoff team. That's a loss. They'll beat Jacksonville, lose to the Chargers. Denver, late in the year, it's snowing sideways. But I'll give him a W there. I have him sweeping the Denver Broncos. I don't think they have better players necessarily, but I'll give you a sweep over Denver. And I know what you're all saying. Colin, you don't have a clue. That's six wins, six and ten. You know what Vegas has them at? Six and a half. I'm not that far off. That's what the season looks like.
1: And I wonder why the Patriots don't get screwed around like this. Huh. Maybe Mr. Kraft with his... Happy ending and his money are really a big influence on the n f l go figure I'm not trying to start anything here. I'm just trying to finish it. Screw the patriots and Bob Kraft and whatever he's doing over there. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Raiders they want to get respect. they got to start winning, and if we don't stop start winning. We're never going to get it. We're going to be like the lowly Browns, bad schedule, bad everything, bad PR. And we don't want that. We're the Raiders. We're not the Browns. We have a history that's longer and more colorful than the Browns. So let's, let's just think that after this season, 2019, And all the buffoonery is over. The draft is over. We have our solid core of good players. We start to see some positives. And we can roll this into Vegas and really get down to business. Because, honestly, I think that's where it's going to happen. And it should. It's going to be a brand new place. Are you kidding me? So the Raiders are going to have a palace. And they deserve it. And I'm glad, damn it. I'm happy they're getting it. I wish it was here, but wherever it is, is fine with me. They deserve a new building. Maybe, just maybe, it'll help them to propel the team to a Super Bowl. I can hardly believe it. I, I'll go see it. I, I'll pay the money to see a Super Bowl if the Raiders go there. That you can take to the bank. So, I just want you guys to know, on this same note, London calling, Keith Smith, the Crusader Raider, and friends. There's a lot of people there that are Raider fans. Lots of Raider fans in London, in Germany, in Italy. You'll be blown away if you go. If you're going to go to London, you should go. And if you go, go through Silver and Black UK, because those guys, they do it right. And they take care of us like we should be. It's awesome. And I've done done it twice. And if I could afford it, I'd keep doing it. But I can't. So there you go. It's well worth the trip, folks. And if you've never been, just go. I mean, how long? You don't know how many days you got left. You might as well just get it done. Because it's well worth it. And you'll have a freaking blast. So, London calling is a good thing, except if they had games here, they aren't going to have the games here. They're going to have the games in Vegas, and also uh, those, they're going to lose two home games in Vegas to London as well, uh, which kind of stinks because they're home games. Uh, and they make them our home games. I don't get that either. Well, okay, we'll go play in London, but. Can't you make it the other team's home game so that their fans get, you know, imposed on? I don't understand that. I don't care. I think it kind of blows. But, you know, the nice thing about having the home team in London is they give you little flags on your seat to wave at the games. And it has our logo as the primary logo on the flag. And whoever we're playing is kind of on there too. But you can see it's a Raider home game. Which is pretty cool. So do it. Don't mess around. Because if you don't, you're going to feel sorry and be sorry. And that is all I have to say about that.
21: 1-800-620-7181.
1: Get on the bone line. We're crying out loud. People, get on it, folks. I know it's off season. Everyone's having fun in the sun. But we're still doing the show. Let me remind you we still are the longest freaking running professional sports podcast in
24: history. Dig it. It's the Raiders.
1: Let's hear what the first caller has to say. And our first caller from Dallas, Texas, Raider Jesse James. I love it. What's going on, my good brother?
29: How is it going, my Raider Nation? This is Jesse James out of Dallas, Texas. Raider Jesse James. I'm out here, man, enjoying this great weather, ready for the summer. Hey, listen, man, you got me hyped up. You know, um... I always I always love getting your insight, Rader Greg. I always love seeing and hearing and and, and just what, where you come from, your perspective. I always look forward to that. So thank you for making another podcast. Um just listen to it and you're right, man. I mean, um here here I agree with a lot of things and you hit on things that I uh was thinking as well. Things like Derek Carr has no excuse. Period. We know that and I completely agree with that. Completely. We basically got him more protection and more weapons. What else can you want? Mm, maybe a running back, but, hey, let's see what that draft brings, right? Hopefully that will be there. The defense, again, um, way improved, like you said. And I was like, man, that is so good. We got the backfield over there taken care of. Now we get a little bit of more uh, pass rush. Um, and, and, yes, that Burfecht that guy brings that toughness, and I think all of us in Raider Nation are stoked about it. So, yes, completely agree with that. Another thing I want to tell you guys is get on raiders.com or on their YouTube channel from the Ra- from the Raiders official YouTube channel and watch the from the ground up. It it shows you the inside of building the stadium, guys. This is only going to happen once for us. We haven't gotten a new luxury, top of the line, um, you know, <laughs> infrastructure in a very long time, and it's it's pretty cool to watch how, what goes into it. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of moving parts. Holy smokes. So, for those of you who don't know, no, it's called From the Ground Up, a Raiders website, but YouTube's more accessible. So it's easier to watch on your TV, smart TV. That's what I do. Anyways, it's a great time. I think we're going to have a good season. I'm not sure if we're going to have a great season, but I think we will have a way better season than uh, last year. And I think right now the NFL is betting on the Raiders to be ready for Vegas. Look what happened to the Rams. We're betting on, on them to move to Los Angeles. It's It's... It is what it is, guys. But it's the business at the end of the day. All the low end teams made moves. None of the big end teams made moves, and I think because of the Super Bowl, the ratings dropped a little bit. People were like tired of the fucking Patriots. Sorry for the uh, cursing. For the Patriots to be winning and be involved, so they're they're like, hey man, we need something different. Well, guess what? The Browns made moves. The Raiders made moves. The Jets made moves. All these teams um, that are you know on the bottom. And that's what the NFL needs. They need the Raiders back up again. And we're, we're coming, baby. Let's go, Raider Nation. Well, first
1: of all, thanks for the props, brother. I appreciate it very much. And, yeah, Derek Carr has no excuse this year. Uh, he definitely won't because we have – we're going to have four players, hopefully, at least four, in the top 34. Um, and it's going to be on him to get it done this year. I mean, if he doesn't do it this year, I don't believe Carr will have any excuses because the Raiders should be a better team, um, but not that much better, I don't think. Because of the schedule. Schedule's going to kill us, bro. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. And my good brother from the Great North, Raider Mystic is in the house. What's up, my brother?
2: Raider Greg, Raider Randy, it's Raider Mystic, (laughs) up here in the Pacific Northwest, man, I just wanted to call in, let you know, I still listen to the show every time they come out, I'm still out here, haven't called in in a while, but you know, um, still out here, still doing what we do, still got the group 4-dub, we just made a new track for Antonio Brown, I'm excited, you know, at first, I didn't think we would really be landing Antonio, but we did. And, you know, I hope he, he keeps his uh, stuff together and and just uh, puts it all on the field and makes a bunch of great plays and tries to show everybody up that uh, he's out here and he's got something to prove. So that's, that's positive. And, uh, man, I was just in the – took the kids to the Trailblazer game last night where Nurkic – Broke his leg. That was uh, a great electric time in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it reminded me of the Raiders a couple years back when uh, we were just a, about to be in the playoffs. And Derek Carr went down So to another uh, tough one for this uh, basketball fan out here up in Oregon. We just lost one of our superstars. And the playoffs are starting in a couple of weeks. And uh, we'll see how that all works out. But, anyways, just wanted to call and say, what's up? Go, Raiders. Glad you're out here still doing your thing. All right. Peace out, Raider Nation.
1: Well, thank you for the love, my brother. Remember, you guys, check out 4Dub. Uh, they got some great music, uh, they're keep doing their thing. And uh, Antonio Brown is, uh, well, he's got to play and he's got to get the ball, and hopefully, you know, we'll get some of them spectacular catches. We need him this year for sure. And, uh, well, thanks for hanging in there, bro. I know I don't do a lot of shows these days, but I'm doing what I can do. Appreciate the call, bro. And our next call is out of Utah. Raider Rick is in the house. Let's talk about the offseason. What's up, brother?
10: Hi Raider Greg, Raider Randy. This is Raider Rick from Utah. Hey, haven't called for a while. Um, I just wanted to get on real quick and say how much I've liked the off season moves. Um, one, I think Mike Mayock is the GM of the year so far and we haven't even hit the draft yet. Um I think he's nailed on all the pit on all the free agents, the contracts, the money that we've given, everything. I think he's done a good job. I think Green was smart to hire him to help him with that. Um, you know Gruden gets a lot of flack, but he's a smart man. He knows football, and I'm excited to have both of them. Um, I'm excited about all of our free agents. I think Antonio Brown will have, you know, 1,000 thousand plus yards, you know, over 10 touchdowns. Terrell Williams probably have close to 1,000 yards, close to 10 touchdowns. I think we we'll, we run the football really well. I like the Isaiah Cotwell signing I also like the Brandon Marshall signing for hard defense. Um, and I just like our free agency all around so far. Um, I think in the draft, I think we're going to go heavy on defense, defensive ends. Um, we need them. I think we go get them. And I think we nailed the draft in my opinion. But um, like I said, I'm also pretty optimistic, I guess. I, you know, I'm I'm grateful for... The, the ball line for the opportunity to call. But I just wanted to say that I've loved everything so far. If I had a great free agency in my opinion I'd give it an A. I think Raiders have won free agency and I think they'll win the, the draft. Um and I like everything that they're doing. Um they're giving um Derek Car time. So um I think it'll be exciting Let's see what goes on after that. Um but like I said I like the Brandon Marshall, our linebackers are solid now, and can't wait for the draft. Go Rangers.
1: Nice call, brother. Very nice. Our free agency was pretty good. We got some good line help, which we needed, O-line help, and um, we picked up Antonio Brown, which was good. I don't know if it was an A. I'd call it a a, a strong B, maybe. Uh, Montez Burfic was a very good pickup, I think. He's just like our old Romanowski nasty gritty player but we should be better our schedule hurts us this year though Uh, it's going to be a a couple seasons before we i think we we hit a winning season i don't think it's going to be this year maybe next year bro thanks for the call and our next caller is johnny utah from ogden utah what do you have for us my raider brother
24: Greater Randy, this is John Utah from Ogden, Utah. Hey, uh, so I just wanted to get your take on uh, all these moves he made in free agency. It's pretty crazy. And what I'm taking away from, I mean, A, B, and everything, yeah, I didn't really want A, B. And we're already kind of seeing a little bit of drama, but I, I think he could be really good with car. We'll have to see how that, that shakes out. But to me, I think the most important thing here is it doesn't look like we have a Raiders team organization that has, you know, pretty much just sold everything to Vegas. They just want to wait till Vegas and do everything then. No, they're making moves now, a lot of moves now. And I don't know. We could actually have a team that competes. I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm not crazy. But uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have 8-8, eight, 9-8, eight, and, and maybe we can get a playoffs If we get, you know, the ball bounces the right way. I just want to know what your take is on that. Um, looks like we might actually try to win some games in Oakland. I also want to know if you re upped your season tickets or if you gave up on that beforehand and, and what you think about that whole thing now if you're thinking about going to some games. Um, I'm actually going, I have been to a game for years and because and, uh, I went to one in Denver, but I'm going to go to one in Oakland. It's the last year and I talked to the family about it and we're setting aside money and I'm going to go to a game. So, love it if you were there so I can meet you.
1: And that's all I got. Johnny Utah, out. Well, first off, thank you for the call, brother. Thank you for the, from the the Utah Raiden Nation on your side. Um, I think we made some improvements because we were pretty bad last year. Anything is going to be an improvement. I think Carr might be improved because he's got more weapons and he should have a better running game which is what we needed for sure. Uh, Lynch was tired and and we need a better we needed a better offensive line. So hopefully with all the moves we've made and our draft we will make 500, I hope. I hope. Doesn't look really good right now because I haven't seen our team. You bring the same team last year to this season and it would be even worse. But I think we made some moves, we've done some things. But I think they're trying to hang for Vegas. I know they're they're gonna be better when they move to Vegas, but I just think our schedule, the uneasiness of the team around the move, it's a tough time, man. If we make 500 this year, I think that would consider, I consider that to be a victory, a vast improvement over last year. So let's hope we can make it to there, bro. And no, I did not re-up my season tickets. Just um, a point of principle. For me, when Gruden told me he was going to do his best, I believed him, and he did everything but. So they ain't getting my money this year, bro. I might go to a game, too. Let me know what game you're going to. It might be the same one. Appreciate the call, brother. And our next caller, Raider Tom, out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. What you got for us, my brother?
28: Hey, Raider Greg. This is Raider Tom out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Just saw the schedule for this year for our Raiders, where they're playing. I'm looking forward to this year because they are playing down here in Minneapolis at the U.S. Bank Stadium, and, yes, I will be getting tickets and attending that game. Also up here, I have friends of mine who are cheeseheads up here, and they have season tickets, and there's, they got four seats, and they're going to take my wife and I over to Lambeau Field to watch the Raiders on October 20th play the Cheesehead Green Bay Packers. I'll get to see that, too. Also this year, my wife and I are going to fly down to uh, the Oakland Coliseum. It will be the last year that they're playing down there and come party with the rest of our tailgating partners down there at the Oakland Coliseum. I'm looking forward to doing that. Best damn game ever is, is – I mean, the best game my wife's ever attended is down at the Oakland Coliseum. What I like to go is hanging out with the rest of the Raider fans and buying those T-shirts, you know, the T-shirts they sell in the parking lots. Oh, they're awesome. This year I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stock up. This year's going to be a great year. I like the acquisitions they've made so far. I'm looking forward to the draft. We'll see what's going to happen. And this year and our last year, we were 4-8. This year, I'm hoping for maybe a 10-6, and six, something like that. I don't know. But I'm, I, you know, every year, I always say we're going to the Super Bowl. I'm always, I'm always cheering for our team. Anyways, that's why I let you know, Greg, it's going to be a great year. And you keep the podcast up. It's the one thing that keeps me going, too, is, is your podcast. Take care, Greg. And I'm out. This is Tom from Minneapolis. Bye-bye.
1: Wow, bro. You have a whole season, almost, of Raider games. You'll see more than most people here because the Raiders and that game and that's our first game on our road trip of seven games. I think that's the first one there in uh, with the Vikings. And then we go and of course, we we play Green Bay, too, and you're going to come to Oakland. That's three games. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is really unbelievable. You're going to have a great time. I don't know about ten wins. I'm thinking more like five wins or six wins. Don't forget, we have a seven-game stretch where the Raiders are away, all in a row. That's a tough thing to do for any team. But for a team that's already on shaky ground, that's going to be a tough order. But we'll see. If we can win a bunch of those games, then we deserve to go to the playoffs because those are going to be mostly away games. Yeah, man, you know I'm a little down on the team cuz well, I just see some things that uh that piss me off, honestly. The uh the Vegas move still kind of irks me a little bit, but to be quite honest, it's better for the team. I'm glad they're building a new stadium and the first caller was right. You guys should look at the new stadium and see what's going on there it's pretty amazing uh the team will be better when they move to vegas i just think this is a very uneasy time for our team and um, well that's what i feel so thanks for the call you have a safe travels and your trips and hopefully i'll get to see you in oakland well raider nation that should wrap it up for this podcast one more thing the Raider Nation video cast is going to be on the show MTV show Ridiculousness in June. We're filming it, they're filming the, putting it in the can on the twenty fourth of April of August, excuse me, April, and uh, and it should be a good show. So I'll be on TV along with Violator. It should be fun. And on that note, I've got a cold. I'm not feeling real good trying to get this show out, so if it doesn't seem like I'm all that, it's because I'm not. And on that, I am rated great, sick as hell,
28: and I am out.